Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss you're about to listen to an interview which our socios enjoyed in full 12 months ago if you'd like to listen to these exclusive monthly big interviews on the day that they're released it's time to join us that means supporting us it means the price of a pint per month go to patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash graham hunter go now join and become a socio that means you'll get that extra big interview every month and you'll also unlock our entire archive straight away, all for £2.99 a month. It's the best deal in town, baby. And we need you. I noticed Kevin Caban as a professional footballer, of course I did. Anybody who displays the passion, athleticism, will to win and technique for scoring or creating really good goals was bound to attract the attention of somebody who feels about football the way that I do. What tipped Kevin over into being an automatic invite to be a guest in a big interview was his excellence as a broadcaster. Basically, whenever you listen to Kevin, either on television or where I mostly listen to him, which is a news talk off the ball... You're going to enjoy it. You're going to know more about the situation that he's assessing. He's worthwhile. Enjoy the big interview. It's there for you. And thanks for the fact that you're there for us. Welcome to this project that we love called The Big Interview. It's not an original title, but it is an original guest, Kim Caban. Not only a footballer that I admire, because we only invite people that one or other of us in the team fully admires. You qualify for that. Also somebody who's been very generous to me in his fledgling broadcasting career. We bump into each other occasionally on the road, so you have my sympathies for that, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> what criteria have you got to reach to, uh, to get total admiration? Do you know, in the entire series, I can't remember ever having been asked a question by any of the guests, <laughs> and to start off with a beauty like that... <laughs> Well, look, anybody who's listened to the big interview before and you've had to put up with a little piece of me knows that if I'm not outright odd, I'm in that environment. I'm idiosyncratic. And therefore, what makes me admire people is anybody in the world of football who tries to do things as I imagine I would if I'd had enough talent. I like honesty. I like fun. I like wit. I like creativity. I like intelligence. And the ones I've admired in, in your profession aren't necessarily people who've always lifted a big trophy yeah. or made millions because people say we must have that guy I do like football intelligence I like people who are forthright 
the players I watch need to have heart, but they also, without question, need to have creativity and ability. And you can already recognise yourself because with it, without any false humility, you, you demonstrated all of those things. And also, when we talk on the radio, I hear somebody who's not bluffing about continental football. There are people in these environs who have told me, he's an obsessive, he'll watch anything. So maybe it's just because yeah. you're watching it rather than <laughs> rehearsing it. Yeah. But like, I, I do notice yeah. the difference between those who've learned two names about the latest Spanish team that's playing well to throw at me and those who are genuinely interested. And that feels to me like the, the conversations that we have. But when we're, when we're... Sorry, do you have any more questions? No, no, that's it. No, no feel that, free. No, no, you've just made a point there that I thought that needed to be clarified. That's okay. all, so it's fine. All right, you have complete freedom to clatter into me at any stage during this. Correct me or tell me that I'm acting like a total idiot. No, no, if you, you, want, you no, can you crack on, you crack freedom. on, you're fine. So, talking about international football, you are something of a, a child prodigy. Um, you made your debut mm. for Ireland very young yeah. in Corpus Christi playing... Oh, yeah. Playing. <laughs> I didn't think you were there on that one. <laughs> playing, playing because, all right, listen... I'm sucking the juice out of answers you've previously given mm. in that I won't tell your story, but it's established that simply because your accent remains Preston, even though you're living in Dublin, that's something I need yeah. to ask you about. When you in the playground were playing England v Ireland, you were an Irish team and you were representing your country and it was a little bit fierce. Yeah. I want specific memories because every single person, male, female, all ages, has done that playground football yeah. and obsessed by getting out it's a tennis ball or it's rags or it's a f- stupid petal station ball that floats over or it's a decent leather ball yeah. we've all done it I want specific memories of Corpus Christi and yeah. England v Ireland well I think I've, I mean I've said it before as well I'll say it to you now most of my, my mates my true mates growing up were all similar or exactly the same background to I had both parents Irish brought up very much in, in an Irish household. So we went to the Catholic schools in Preston, essentially. I went to St Gregory's Primary School, where Alan Kelly went to, actually, who, you know, he was one of the lads I used to look up to growing up. Gosh. When his dad moved over from Bray, when he was playing for Preston, famously, the record appearance holder for Preston North End, Alan then followed his, his own dad's tradition and managed to get a, a great career at Preston himself. So he went to St Gregory's as well. So that was something for me... Immediately when I started school, you know, I had my brother there ahead of me. Me and my brother were both football mad growing up. But you had Alan Kelly there who had gone on then to play, first of all, first team football for Preston, but then go beyond that and go and play international football. So he was someone then when I first started to develop, he was one that you looked up to straight away because I, I can get near that. That's the, what that's the immediately what maybe gets a hold of you from a football perspective. And as I said before, all my mates were all from Irish backgrounds. So we... We grew up watching Euro 88. We grew up watching Italian 90, supporting Ireland. That's how it was for us. And we used to have these games in England v Ireland at school. And you mentioned there the word ferocious. The, the one thing that sticks out in my mind, even when I talk to my mates now about them, sometimes it was a nil-nil draw. <laughs> I mean, you don't, have a, you don't have a game of football in a schoolyard and it's nope. a nil-nil draw. Definitely that, not. Some of these games, there was fights. You know, we'd take these scraps to the following day when we went back out to play again. And they were great times, but the competitive nature of those games, I think, helped us as a school team because we were one of the best. We were the best in Lancashire at the time. We were the best in Preston easily, by far. But we were also 
because of how we played day to day, that competitive nature set in with us. That's what I think helped us all develop because four lads from my high school, we all signed professional terms at Preston. One year below us, David Lucas, who's now goalkeeper coach at Fleetwood Town, he was a year below us as well. So we had we had so many excellent players that was coming through my year. But the reason I believe we all developed and we all become half decent in the game was because of those England v Island games that was being played at, at break time and at, at lunch time. So paint us a, a, a fuller picture. Corpus Christi. Yeah. Are you playing into the bike sheds? Are you playing on We were playing actually playing on the playing grass? fields. We're playing so on the grass. allowed in the grass. Yeah, rather than the grass, yeah. Full pitch. The, the one thing with our school was it was total inclusion and total letting us get on with things, letting us use the total facilities of the school. So they allowed us to play on, on across the actual the pitches that we would use for our uh, school games, which was great. So we'd probably have, a, there were around about eight to ten aside games. So we'd have Seamus Murphy, I'll say the names to you, Declan Hanley, Thomas Taylor, Tommy's nephew, Dennis Taylor. You know, these are the lads who we would have had all, all on our side. Now, I guess you, I knew you were naming your side. John Callaghan, yeah, exactly. So this, I, this is my side. This when I my... had my first playground football fight, it was with Lindsay Reid Porky, <laughs> who was a bully and a thug. I remember we just rolled around in mud for about 45 minutes with that killer blow being struck. But I was deemed the winner, and it sticks with me to this day. And Porky, if you're out there, round to you any time you want. <laughs> So who yeah. were you? Who were the fights with? Who, who was in the, the fight, team? The, the fight was actually, it's a bit of an Irish-sounding name, but Paul McMenemy. He was a lad who, he came and signed professional terms at Preston. Excellent footballer in himself. And, yeah, we were the ones that ended up having this scrap. And we ended up, having, we ended up arranging a fight that evening in the local park. We ended up, like, because it, it boiled over, we were best mates. And we ended up having this fight. And I always remember, he, he got the old... Well, the old headlock, whatever it would be. We're getting, we're having a bit of a scrap. We're probably knackered after 30 seconds. I, I believe fight. it used to be called a Gravison in, at Everton, didn't it? A Gravison, yeah, that's it. was a Gravison, yeah. You, you're not, yeah, you're obviously doing a lot of homework there. <laughs> but he got, he got his fingers in my mouth and he was end up like getting, you know, the old wrenching of the mouth. And I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't bite down on him because he was pulling my cheeks apart. Anyway, it, we ended up breaking up and we become best mates again the following day, I think it was. That's would it be like, over a tackle and offside? It would have been a tackle. It would always been a tackle. Who went over the top? Who left a leg in? Again, you mentioned the word ferocious at the start that was exactly how they were nothing held back in these games two-footed tackles elbows flying and it did actually feel as though yeah we were we were representing Ireland that's how it was to us but we did have four Paul McMenemy Chris Borick would have been another John Callaghan and myself we were the four that that did manage to to go on and develop yeah you obviously caught my attention because you know nobody's ever actually complained those who are listeners but like I do tend to hammer on about street football mm. And the values and the the lessons, the type of footballer that's bred from having to play on the street, maybe dodge cars, invent passes off walls or lampposts, yeah. but also just that toughness about like the ball is important because we won't have another one because money's a bit tight. The reason I asked about that was that you know that having a grass pitch to play on mm. once or twice a day at school isn't typical of that street football ethos. And yeah. I can understand how, you know, if you talk about Seedorf or, or Bergkamp or Van Persie, the Dutch school of street football, Frank Rijkaard once, you know, told me it was like kill or be killed. Yeah. And what happened at the end of a 6v6 or 7v7 on the street mm. in Amsterdam was the two best players were then mano a mano. I grew up with street football. That's exactly how it was. Up to the age of 11 before I went to high school, it was... As I mentioned my brother earlier on, I'd say probably my brother would have, and you only maybe look back at that and reflect upon that, he was the biggest influence, simply because he was two years older than me, a brilliant footballer in his own right growing up, 
and we just used to play on the street. We used to play on the, I mentioned St Gregory's earlier on, St Gregory's is a concrete playground, so we played football on the concrete in school there, and on the street, outside Tennis the balls, house. Tennis football, anything, what kind of football? Anything, anything we had, honestly, and predominantly it would have been a size three or four, for even up to a five football, whatever we could get, but we'd play tennis, yeah, we'd play tennis, but underneath the school benches, yeah. underneath the school benches, put two benches together, two sides, winner stays on, all these sort of things. Would you call that copies? Copies, yeah. Copies, yeah. We used to have it all. Well, well no, copies was actually two, two aside or even one aside, single copies or double copies. Two v two, the keeper, one keeper, yeah. and then you just play off against each other. World yeah. Cup, we called it. Yeah, copies. it was brilliant. Yeah, wasn't it? but th- that was the, it makes you very competitive. Amazing, amazing, and you know, you, you could have six doubles. Or you could have six singles. However it was, however, you, your games would always judge on the amount of plays that you had. If there was 12 players, obviously, then you'd try and have doubles. You score a goal, you through to the next round. And it, they were great. They were, they were just brilliant, brilliant times growing up playing all these individual things like this. That was certainly in the schoolyard at St. Gregory's Cuppies. Yeah. If you had six doubles, you wouldn't necessarily see a lot of the ball, would you? Depends how good you are. No, go on. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you've got to hold on to the ball. You've got to hold on to it. Yeah, that's the way it was. And... You know, but maybe when I, in the later part of my career, wouldn't have seen it. But predominantly from the age of maybe fourteen to eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty, whatever it was, I was a dribbler. That's how I was. I was just basic. I was a powerful lad, not necessarily in the dribbling mode of an Iniesta or anything like that. But I was a, a player that could hold on, certainly handle himself physically. But I was a dribbler. I, I, I was my responsibility on the pitch, or the responsibility I was given by the manager was you carry the ball for us you've got to get us up the pitch you've got to be the player that's getting us but you're not just talking about distance you're talking about ability to go past somebody yes, right in tight areas yeah particularly when you're how would you puppies. go past somebody in them days what uh, were your you, think about your repertoire it was always a step over which I do because I love Chris Waddle I love Waddle so who, who doesn't? Yeah, who loves Yeah, I, I love Waddle. Saying that, you know, saying I, I, some of my heroes would have been the Irish players. Of course, Kevin Sheedy, yes, a left sider. Of course, Paul McGraw would have been a huge hero of mine growing up. But I love Chris Waddle. I used to love Waddle watching him in the late '80s, early '90s, playing for Tottenham, then playing for Marseille. I, me- I remember him playing for Marseille in those famous European Cup games. That dribble against uh, AC Milan when he's tried to beat five players, he goes around the keeper and falls over. I remember all these things vividly watching Waddle because I used to just love Waddle. So I would always try stepovers. What, what try. did you think? So stepovers he did, but were you conscious in watching about where the shoulders were? Because we asked him in this series, and we doubted it for a little while, up in his, in his loft with his statuettes of Laurel and Hardy and his CD collection and pictures and shirts from his career, and we thought, well, not everybody that does great things in sport knows how they do yeah, it. He, Shall we ask or not? Yeah. He could describe to a millimetre which foot was where, yeah. where the ball was, how long he waited before the defender would come in, the shoulders, the balance. I know. Did you clock in anything about that when you watched him, or did you just go out there and try and mimic it? I had a bit of a, a bit of the his running style anyway. You know, taller. You know, Chris Waddle and I are probably similar sort of height. I've never seen in a million years I was any I was anywhere near the class that he was, but. I used to try and mimic him, certainly from the step over, over point of view. So certainly when I was younger anyway, maybe when I got a little bit older and you've got to maybe try and, I don't know, maybe try and maintain place in the side. If things aren't working for you, you've got to try and work harder and... Be more conservative. I, yeah, maybe right. Maybe don't, don't do something that's going to get you out of the team. Where you, you, I think back and I watch Waddle and I think, how did he do it? How, how on earth he never did he had that thought. No, he didn't, exactly. I think that's part of it. Yeah, he didn't. He was total belief in himself and he didn't 
he, he didn't seem to, to care what people thought. He had total belief in his ability. And again, I, I've spoken to him. I, I sit down with him sometimes and I see him at games. And I just, I'm engrossed listening to him joy, for, for 20 it? minutes. He's, he's just an amazing fella to talk to. Mm. We've, had him on, we've had him on the show with Off the Ball as well at times. He'd gladly give us 45 minutes of his time. The one thing, again, you said there, he, taught, he, he said something to me. He said, when I was at Marseille, he said, I get the ball and I'd start to run with it. And what I used to hear behind me was, and he'd hear this. And we were like, and he'd think, what is that? And he said, he always used to hear it. And it was people standing up seats. because it was a clattering of the yeah. seats. And I couldn't believe he actually had this thought process as he's actually going to try and beat defenders. It was just amazing to me. But it's an incredible human instinct that if something's entertaining, you stand up. I love that. And, and you're right that he's peripherally aware of it or he asked what it was. But to be able to do that. I know. Whoa. I know. I know. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your original, ta- you were tasked by coaches. You said you called it carry the ball. Yeah, but that wasn't what you started off talking about. You started about that you had a dribble. Yeah, which I love because one of the things that separates the football I watch from afar in England and that I watch locally in La Liga is there are still far more players who can beat a man. Yeah, one way or the other. Yeah, there are, there are several in the Premier League, but it's it's given less um, importance. Mm. So you had that. I did. To Wait, an, how yeah, how I did the step over? You're a lefty. You've been reaching for your... Uh... I always step over the left foot, but when I then started to develop and I was working with different people, I was trying to get taught to step over the right foot. So it was almost step to the right, obviously take with your left, so you're going onto your stronger foot then. When I was growing up, it would have been the left foot, because it's probably the natural thing, my stronger leg, mm-hmm. step over the left foot. So maybe a step over the left foot, maybe go inside players. Or maybe just, I used to have a decent drag, maybe the John Robertson drag as well, where you could Whoa. try and drag it across your, your you, body you, a You bit. reached for Tuchel, for Christie yeah. Waddle and John Robertson. <coughs> well, uh, I need again, to see footage anyway, of you yeah, playing for uh, Christie. Yeah, I wouldn't, necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily, again, put myself in that sort of category. And when I got to then... A little bit older, say about 14, 15, I, I, I developed physically. I seemed to grow tall and I, I got, could run then. And, you know, again, I was, I was fairly quick in my youth. And it just it, everything started to develop from there. And, again, luckily enough, I mean, I mentioned Sam before, already, but Sam spotted something in me very early when I was 15. And he then signed me at 16. And then I had, uh, you know, a couple of years, under, two or three years under Sam at, at youth football, which was great from a personal point of view to have such a, a great brain who was trying to help me develop. And I think I developed extremely quickly be, between the ages of 15 and 19. I was, I was ready at 18. I was ready, ready to go. And that's when I started to develop and then quickly started to make that name for myself that, during that spell. That readiness comes from a host of different attributes. And, you know, I think there must be probably 100,000 footballers who say it was my brother. But, you know, one of the ones that sticks is that for all his talent, Leo Messi as a kid was kicked to shreds by his two big brothers and says so and they taunted me and they made me cry deliberately and you look at him now 
He never reacts. Yeah. Never reacts. His first, his only red card so far was you know, a travesty of a decision in his first international against Hungary. And he's just trying to pull a player who's pulling him back to get away from... And you just about never see his temperament rise or his mm. you know, that boiling anger. And you talked about your brother, whose name is Farrell. Farrell, yeah. yeah. And um, he played a, a similar role to you in that mentoring about what it's like to be treated quite tough. Yeah, he did. Well, again, I mentioned before, Farrell was a brilliant, brilliant child footballer, centre-forward, striker, probably the best in the town, striker-wise. Um, unbelievable goal scorer. Regularly be scoring between... 70 and 100 goals a season as a, as a really young boy so you know be coming in from the Sunday league games he scored seven today things like wow. this he was he was he was excellent and he was scouted from Watford he was scouted by a number of clubs actually but he ended up going to Cambridge actually but it never happened for him he ended up having a, an excellent semi-pro career non-league uh, playing as a centre-half or even a right-back at times but again I was on the street. I was this little kid then playing with Farrell and even lads older than him on the street. In the in, the, we had a little bit of a green outside the house, but predominantly we were. It was just on the roads playing football. Yeah. And again, you mentioned maybe Messi, where it was you were getting kicked. You were getting you couldn't get the ball, so you were having to scrap. You having to try and get yourself in there with all the lads, trying to take the ball off. And if you had the ball, you went past him. You just get kicked. Mm-hmm. That's how it was. Uh, so, the dignity of not having the ball taken off them by a little. No, exactly. No chance. No chance. So Farrell and his mates and and even lads above him. You have a lot to thank those lads for as well that you don't necessarily realise. You, you're getting, you're reaching that level slowly but surely, maybe quicker than you think to a, to an extent at times. And quicker than you would have done it without that treatment. Definitely, definitely. I'm also, um, just at the end of this year now, you said it yourself in passing that at times your mum, who's raising you at the stage, all three of you on, on her own, there wouldn't always be enough to, to buy food to eat. Yeah, yeah. We'd have a weekend without electricity in the house. And that was, it was genuine. It was how it was. It when, again, it wasn't every weekend, but it was, it was a regular occurrence. It wasn't a regular occurrence. We didn't have food on the table. But it, it happened. It happened all too often, I think, than for, for probably our liking, probably growing up. Particularly, it used to get to the end of the month or maybe the end of the week mm. and a Saturday and Sunday, mm. and you wouldn't have any food. From my point of view, now when I look back, and if I've got you know, decent food in the fridge or I can, I can afford to eat decent food... I'm I'm grateful for that, and it, I, and again I don't say that lightly because I know mm. I know how it's been, I know what it was like. Do you know what it is? I think, and it's something maybe the maybe my mantra in life: you get on with it. That's the way mm. it had to be mm. because I mean, going back for you, sink or swim. Mm. You know, I'm not saying you know that there are certain challenges that have come my way throughout my life, but it's sink or swim. You get on with it. You've got to, you've got to get on with it, and you've got to look to tomorrow. You've got to look to the day after to see how how it's going to, uh, to see how, how the next day will be and then you start to develop and you start to get better because of the setbacks that you've had along the way. That's, that's the way that I've always been and that's, I think it has been down to, to my upbringing and how it was and, and the certain hardships that we had at times but that was how it was. I thoroughly approve and um, I can't lie, I had, a, I had a slightly different you know, upbringing and chance in life but for some reason or another I was gifted with this. So one, get on with it and... and, and not just tough it out, but find a way to make something out of bad circumstances and a little bit of resourcefulness. Yeah. And a little bit of cheekiness too. Yeah. Um, we skip. This is like a sort of audio book where you can shuffle. Yeah. Let's shuffle forward to um, being drawn in a World Cup qualification group with Holland. Because, you know, a great deal has been made, understandably, about Saipan and, and what happened there and the effects it did or didn't have on the subsequent World Cup. Yeah. 
but getting there mm. still fascinates me. And one of the things we hope to do in this podcast is not only to let people hear the real character, or at least something approximating the real character yeah. of the people that they admire, but the, one of the privileges um, that all of you that we speak to have had, excluding the, the glory and the fun and the fulfilment and the wages, is that you've been inside. You've savoured the tension, the realisation of dreams, the, the way different people react to stress. And I want to focus on those two games, almost a year apart. In both of them, you had a pretty firm protagonist role. They must count as two of the more glorious moments in your football life. The Holland games, you mean? There's those two yeah. qualifying games against Louis van Gaal's yeah. Holland game. Yeah. The, the I, first in the group game, away. Yeah. The second one... I think that was my best game for Ireland, I think, away away in Holland. I do, I think. It definitely was my the, the game I was playing in my most natural position. Come back. Come back yeah. a little bit. And we won't do the whole group at all, but you're drawn in a group which is Minnows plus Ireland plus Portugal plus Holland. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that whoever wants to be um, neck and neck with Portugal, who are maybe the dominant side, although you get two 1-1 one, one mm. draws off them, it, it's going to be the winner takes all between Holland and Ireland. It's a Holland side that's jam-packed full of Van Hooydonk, Hasselbank, Kluivert, yeah. Van Nistelrooy, Van der Sar, yeah. De Boer, um, Koku, um, Van Bronckhorst. It's a right flipping yeah. good Van, Van Bommel. Bommel. Well, yeah. There's talent everywhere and toughness yeah. too and I'm not saying they should have won because your, your side's packed but I want to build up to going to Amsterdam to try and take me back to anything that what's Mick McCarthy saying what's the group yeah. saying are you intimidated have the Dutch said anything about you in the build up what's the expectations here well, at home before you give your best game for Ireland we'd gone away Euro 2000 we'd gone away to America that summer and Mick had many, managed to keep a core of the squad together. There was only a, a handful, two, three, four players maybe that didn't make that trip. So now Quinn and, St- and Stan, Steve Staunton came on it, Alan Kelly, maybe the three experienced players. And then the Robbie Keane, myself, Jason was on the trip, uh, Phil Babb was on the trip, Richard Dunn was just coming into it, he was on the trip as well. Shea was on the trip. We had, we had a good nucleus of the squad that was going to take us forward over the next few years. And Mick did, Mick did great in actually getting us all to go on that trip. We played South Africa, Mexico and the US. And Mick gave us a couple of nights out there. We bonded. Yes, we did. We had a great time. We came back from that trip. We just missed out. Of course, we'd missed out on the playoff against Turkey. I'd played in both the, the playoff games against Turkey. Again, I felt that was maybe... The Turkey game was maybe when I fully felt at home in the Ireland squad. It took, me, it took me a long time. It did. Mm-hmm. It took me two years. Nervousness around the squad, um, that true feeling of, of belonging in the squad. I'd had made a few, a few. I played a few games in competitive games, but I hadn't necessarily nailed down a place in the squad. First of all, to, to your own satisfaction. Yeah, to my own mean, satisfaction. Yeah, that's, quite, yeah. that, that's definitely yeah. fair to say. I played in the, in the two playoff games. And it was just before we moved to Sunderland and I felt great. Really, at the top of my game, felt brilliant. And then off the back of those games against Turkey, actually Gerard Houllier had, had spoken to Steve Staunton. Steve Staunton contacted me at Liverpool. They, were, they wanted to take me to Liverpool. But anyway, I went to Sunderland. And, I, and after that, I wasn't playing particularly well for a time. So when we went away in that summer, just had a really poor first year, 18 months in particular at Sunderland. And so we went away that following summer anyway. And... I think my whole career, and it was something that Packy Bonner had said to me, try and peak for the international games. It was always something that was in my head. Growing up, that's all I wanted to do. I mean, 
I mentioned, yeah, I'm from Preston, but I was a Celtic fan growing up. And all I wanted to do, if, if you could have given me one team, it would have been a club team, it would have been Celtic. But if you could give me one team to play for, it would have been Ireland. Mm-hmm. That's all I wanted to do to play for Ireland. And I think when I got in, I was overawed with everything. So it, it did take me time to adjust. But going back to the Sunderland thing, I didn't, when I stepped up to Premier League level, I don't think I did myself justice in the first, first few months. Then Mick took us away, and then I felt as though I was part of the squad after that. After the playoff games, we had a few friendlies, and after that, we went away in the summer. Played a few games out there in in the US. You win your Spurs if you can handle stuff on a night out as well. Yeah, with yeah. Just, with you know you, you yeah. smile and you laugh. Big Nile. I'm not. <laughs> well, yeah. it's just a truth of football. Yeah, if you can handle a night out, if you can hold your drink, if you can be funny. <clears throat> yeah, um, probably. Be, yeah, it's probably true. All of those things really mould yeah. a group. Yeah, I think Particularly was, in another continent in the summer. Yeah. No. And particularly with it, we'd gone away from the times in the Big Jack where literally the lads seemed to be out every night. Mick, Mick had got the reins on us to an extent. Mick was starting to discipline us more so we might have got a night out after a game. We, we mm. did it at the right times essentially. Mm-hmm. But the trip to America just, it brought everyone together. It did. You know, become good friends with Shea, Gary Breen, Kenny Cunningham, Steve Staunton, Niall, room with Niall, start to room with Niall then regularly, become good friends. And I think it, it really brought us together. So we were on the upward curve hitting the first game against, against Holland in Amsterdam. I got the starting position and uh, I started against Holland and it was almost, yeah, I'm just taking it on from the last qualifying games, those two playoff games against Turkey, which, we, which of course we didn't lose of the two games, but we, we went out on away goals. Yeah. And that was it. And I just felt as though that was the making of me. So... Again, I started every, played every single game in that in that qualification campaign, and I just felt great. I did felt really good over there in Amsterdam, and we should have won the game. Yes, it was a disappointing result when we, we allowed them to get back into it what, because we dominated them. What's your game. mentality going into it? Because you clearly at the time couldn't say, oh, "Look at this squad." But as good as your group was, you know, Holland looked yeah. pretty nippy. Well, Robbie Robbie Keane was a little bit of the unknown even then. He wasn't necessarily, you know, he'd had he'd had some good moves, but he was still relatively young and he hadn't started to fulfil the potential that we know, we knew he was going to reach from seeing him first of all in training. Damien Duff. So we had Damien and Robbie. We had Roy in midfield. We had we had Shea given in goal. Mm-hmm. So we had four players that conceivably could get into most sides around Europe. Carr would have been a Premier League player, wouldn't he? Stephen Carr, yeah. Stephen Carr was on yeah. the side at that time. Stephen Carr, he was at Tottenham, I think, then. Tottenham, was, it, I mean, it, there was, before he'd done his knee, Stephen was linked with the Man United. So he, he, had, was made, he was made an offer by Man United. Yeah, that's it. So you had... Hart was... Would, Ian Hart, Hart me and Hart, me and Hart, he started every game. We had a great combination yeah. down the left. We, we, it just seemed to work the way that we used he to play together. He did a lot of European experience yeah. with Leeds. Yeah. So the way you talk about Robbie there, well, if I remember correctly, that cross from the right for the first goal... He actually takes yeah. it off your forehead. <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah. It does, yeah. When you think about it, yeah, it does. I think it was it was Stephen Carr that set it up, wasn't it? No, Jason, actually. A great little play between Jason and Stephen down the right-hand side. And then Jason hung a ball, great ball up to the far post. And Robbie... You, you Rob, must have been... Oh, you yeah, beauty. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. My, my, right there, and he just appears like a, a green does. flash. Yeah, that was Robbie. Robbie was so sharp. He, the, the, the brain on him, you know, the first five yards, his movement was, was so good. He'd get away from defenders. And then... That was the making of him in many respects, you know, that he got our campaign up and running. I missed a sitter in the game as well myself, actually. But anyway, this is this you've yeah. gone two 0 up yeah. before. The, I mean, a yeah. sitter—that's a harsh phrase. <laughs> I, I, you know, two 0 is two 0 comes at a stage where actually Ireland look as if you're dominating the game. Yeah, we were, and they're ring rusty. They they don't look right. Yeah. I think we got them at the right time as well in many respects. They were off the back of the Euros. 
So, yeah, we'd gone away in a less intense environment, so we had to, had the chance to go and work on things away in America. That was a thing that Mick did. Was there a little bit of structural? Oh, yeah. There was just there playing was, the friendly. Yeah, there was a lot. I think Mick recognised he, he had us then for, would have been about two weeks, I think we went out there. We had a two-week block of training, wow. and Mick got working on the organisation side. What was he trying side. to impose? Uh, I think he impressed upon us that we were certainly then... I think there was a lot of players that were still there from around about the Jack Charlton era, mm-hmm. but I mentioned some of the names there before. Robbie, Ian Hart, you say, Stephen Carr, myself. We weren't all part of Jack Charlton's era, so Jack Charlton synonymous with long ball, direct football. Mick was trying to get us playing in a brand of football. We had Again, if you've got the likes of Stephen Carr and Ian Hart in your team, they were quality footballers. And, of course, Roy Keane in your side as well, Robbie Keane. We couldn't be lumping it up to... I mean, Niall had a great understanding with Robbie. Robbie used to love playing with Niall. Mm. But even though Niall had that you know, physical presence and he, early he was as good as any, anyone you'd likely to see, Niall's biggest strength was his, was his, his touch he, he was and, a and, and his ability on the ground. I, I would compare him to Crouchy because people just absolutely misjudge Crouchy. Who I'd yeah. turn the TV on to watch every single yeah. game he plays in because... I think he's fabulously intelligent and skilled. Totally. Now also was irrespective yeah. of aerial ability or height, was a footballer. Definitely. And Mick then had recognised that we've got footballers. We had Mark Kinsley, we had Matty Hall in the midfield as well, lads who could play. And again, I think when you're playing alongside Roy, I think he certainly raised levels within the squad as well. I think he brought a little bit of belief to everybody, I think, or nobody, instilled belief in, in everybody. Nobody wanted to take a bad performance in yeah. Roy never mind the manager yeah, yeah, it's fair to say yeah that would be true that would be very true and you know that Roy would be on your case if you had a bad touch or made a bad pass or whatever it would be so yeah there was, a, there was certainly an element of that as well hopefully you enjoyed that big interview which was first released as an exclusive to our socios 12 months ago if you'd like to get these interviews on the first day that they're available, it's time for you to join us, to become a socio, and for only £2.99 a month, you will get an exclusive big interview, plus regular mini-documentaries, not only all ad-free, but all featuring me, and bringing you interesting, funny, and sometimes scandalous things from Spanish football. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to unlock our entire archive. That means that once you join, you will have a treasure trove of interviews with funny, elite, interesting, revelatory, top-class footballers. By joining us, you will help support this independent podcast. You will help to keep us on the road, interviewing people and sending that content for your delectation. If you go to the gym, you'll be slimmer. If you've got a dog... He or she will thank you. If you've got a TV, you can turn it off and listen to this instead. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.